The following program is paid for by Rudy Wealth Management. Good morning, and welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. You're invited to be part of today's show. Call 356-9397. Opinions and views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. And now, Paul Rudy's On the Money. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money for our last show in September. And of course, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. But uh, anyway, I have Dr. Fred Gertz, as usual. Dr. Fred, thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, good to be here again. And I have financial advisor, Daniel Rudy, who works with me at Rudy Wealth Management. Daniel, good morning. Good morning. And then I'm going to introduce in a little bit uh, Ryan Repko, who's another associate at Rudy Wealth Management, joined us earlier in the year. Um, we'll talk to him just a little bit about his background and uh, just briefly and probably on the going forward in a bit. He'll be a contributor to the show as well. You can call in with your questions at 217-356-9397 or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line at 351-5357. You can also email your questions to talk at wdws.com. It's important to recognize that past performance is not an indication of future results. You should not make any investment decisions without first consulting your own financial advisor and conducting your own research and due diligence. And I think we got that out of the way. Well, Fred, uh, I got a lot number of things to talk about, but I think before I think I'll preface the show of, uh, boy, we've sure had strong returns. Uh, you know, we uh, it's really been a broad based bull market this year. I think it's I think it continues to catch people by surprise. Right. Just last week, uh, I think as of Friday, the Stan- uh, Standard & Poor's 500 index, the Dow Jones Industrial Averages all made all-time highs. Uh, I think that was last Wednesday, and I think it even continued into Thursday. Uh, gave back a little Friday, but last week, all-time highs. And then on the New York Stock Exchange, which is even a broader exchange, and the Russell 2000, which is the 2,000 smallest companies uh, of the top 3,000, uh, so it's just a measure of, you know, it's kind of a benchmark of how are the smaller companies are doing, all made all-time highs on Friday. Uh, so now all the main indices in the U.S. have made, at least the major ones, uh, made all-time highs in the past two weeks. Um, and it looks to me like hurricanes aren't doing much, having much of an impact economically. Uh, and, but I noticed another thing, Fred, I'm just kind of giving you a hodgepodge here. We always hear about how wage growth is not doing well you know for quite some time but from at least from an historic norms and years but with turns out with inflation's low uh so low as it's been the past number of years now um with real wages 22 dollars an hour this year that's the best inflation adjusted reading since january 73 so kind of the good news is uh net of inflation which is really all that's important if we trust the measures of inflation and we use the ones that are published uh that's what we have Uh, it looks like you know, maybe things are turning around a bit for right. the day-to-day worker. Yeah, I, the, the good news is that we're uh, doing well in a bunch of different measures, including unemployment, inflation, uh, wage growth. Uh, there's always a, a fly in the ointment. The uh, problem is that th- this may be about as good as it gets. I mean, th- we're, we're probably not going to move back into the uh, period of the 50s or 60s, something of that sort, in terms of growth rates. So uh, this is really good compared to the last um, – uh, 10 years or so, but uh, it may not uh, be the cursor, uh, precursor to something where we are, do even better. Are we in that Goldilocks scenario that sometimes over the years I've talked about where there's not inflation's not too hot, it's not too cool, uh, though I see Cash Carrion saying maybe yeah. we shouldn't be, he's on the Federal Reserve, I think out of Minneapolis. I right. uh, just noticed today he's suggesting maybe the Federal Reserve <clears throat> slow down on their uh, raising and hikes because of inflation's yeah. really pretty modest. But Low inflation, kind of modest growth. There doesn't seem to be inflationary pressures. Um, yeah, low low, uh, may- low inflation, low empl- <coughs> unemployment. The uh, I think the, the the problem is that we have these other measures that aren't quite as rosy. And ter- workforce uh, participation isn't high, and part of that's due to demographics, things of that sort. So again, uh, we're not comparing it to the last hundred years, but certainly comparing it to the last decade or so. It seems like a very uh, very good situation. That also. Raised the issue that there's always a downside. I just read a 
short article by uh, Robert Schiller, who's the person who always predicts a, a downturn, and he's predicting uh, a bear market, but his prediction is very uh, uh, very fluid. Sometime in the next several years, we well, might have a bear market because we're overvalued now, and that's almost a sure thing. That <laughs> Well, I'm not sure I agree with his overvalued, but like you said, that's his opinion. Uh, but, you know, this is the second long, and we're going to talk yeah. a little bit about this, but it's the in, in, in terms of both magnitude, how much this bull market has risen yeah. since 2009, and both in times, uh, terms, and also the amount of time it's been, and it's the second longest uh, bull market. And a bull market is just periods not interrupted by a bear market, which right. is a 20% broad market decline. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but meanwhile, we serve with all these all-time highs and the broad markets up some 14 or 15 percent year to date. Right. Uh, you know, I think that's even surprising. I think that's surprising yeah, especially. I mean, it may not be surprising now, but it's certainly surprising. Uh, uh, eight months ago, ten months ago, or a year and a half ago, I remember the first uh, quarter of 2016, and everyone thought that we were dead in the water and right. all of a sudden it turned around in march and then had a pretty good year and then everyone thought at least at least for a few hours after the trump election that the market was going to tank and then that uh seemed to stimulate things even more so it's really a a kind of surprising thing in in retrospect and it fits into my big picture of course you know we're not market forecasters ever uh but i doesn't mean i don't have my own personal opinion about where we are in these big cycles and and uh i've talked about this uh, that my belief that we are in the secular or long-term bull market mm. since 2013 and i this is the kind of behavior it's almost a disbelief that the dow is you know well over 22,000 and continues to rise doesn't mean even in secular bull markets that are very powerful the last one took the dow between 1982 and 2000 from dow 1000 to nearly dow 14,000 so that's just how powerful a secular bull market that's a that's a pretty good example of one, uh, but they can be interrupted. Uh, you know, sometimes, like we saw in 1987, in one day, the prices of the largest companies in America fell 22 percent between right. sunup and sundown. So, so, it so it's not a very daring prediction to say sometime in the next several years you might have a bear market. I, I, in fact, uh, you know, my kids don't like it when I do it, <clears> but <throat> I, I use Twitter quite a bit, and you know, when I see these headlines from these pundits that saying. Markets in risk, uh, you know, is in risk of a five percent pullback. You just want, you just want to shake my head and go, and that, you know, that, uh, that's news, uh, and so I can't hold it. So it seems like more and more economists, Fred, since you're an economist, a uh, survey from the National mm-hmm. Association of Business Economics. <clears throat> the reason I'm talking about this for the listeners is kind of get. I like to have Dr. Fred give us this big picture, and then we hone in on a few topics, but. That survey from the NABE, uh, most polled expected the growth of the U.S. gross domestic product to level off next year at an annual pace of about 2.3%. Doesn't seem like a lot of economists are buying this Trump's 3% GDP potential. And that is reading is down from the uh, latest reading of a 3% growth in the second quarter of this year. Um, I'm reading that... uh, most economists in that survey expect Congress to send a tax reform package to the White House by next year. So they're, right. they're you know, they think that they think, but Trump's three percent growth target is unrealistic, according to the NABE survey. Um, so it did say the Senate Republicans said they were closing in on a compromise tax reform package that could cut revenues by as much as two trillion. Well, the deficit hawks didn't like that, Fred. They right. they they don't like the sound of that. We just <laughs> went over a twenty trillion dollar debt. Uh, maybe we'll talk a bit about that, but proponents of the plan are counting on, this is where it gets to this economic growth issue. The proponents of the tax plan are counting on faster economic growth to make up for the revenue shortfall. That's what they call what? Dynamic scoring. Dynamic scoring yeah. And that's basically saying, well, wait a minute, if we put these tax cuts in, we think it's going to stimulate the economy. We're going to have higher GDP. And in fact, we'll have higher tax revenues, even with lower tax. Is that right. the essence of their? Yeah, there, there are two kinds of, uh, every uh, tax uh, change takes into account uh, kind of short-term behavioral changes. So if you uh, raise the price of the tax on cigarettes, you expect sure. that people will uh, consume fewer cigarettes. So those kind of things are incorporated. But these broader things about what the impact on the economy will be is uh, has, has come to be known as dynamic scoring. And it's a way of saying even though in the short run we may lose some revenue, we'll, we'll gain it back in the long run. The problem with dynamic scoring is that uh, it's very dif- difficult to predict Right, the impact. The economy is a very complicated place. It's a range of outcomes. So, so you cut uh, corporate uh, taxes by 
uh, five percentage points, uh, that, that probably will have some stimulative effect, but knowing exactly how much is very difficult. To, it's, it's ultimately to it's debatable, right? Right. And, and also, not surprisingly, the people in favor of it uh, suggest a big response. The people sure. against it suggest it won't have very much impact. So there's no agreement about what the uh, what the uh, long-term impact is in terms of growth. But it does sound like what's being contemplated, if we don't get to 3% growth, then we are going to add to the deficits more. Yeah. It doesn't seem like this $700 billion deficit and you know this year so far or what it's projected to be doesn't seem like that bothers you that much it doesn't uh, give us a sense of proportionality of what i know maybe those are my words maybe those aren't the words you're going to choose but yeah. it, it you, you don't seem to f- get really upset over that in no, the short run yeah the problem is that uh, a bunch of short runs accumulate into the long run so uh, any one year with uh, half a trillion dollars or 700 uh, billion dollars it's no big deal but as we were talking about earlier, this is a, a, a pretty good situation for the economy. So if we're doing well and still running a, deficit. a, a, a huge deficit, uh, what's going to happen if, we, if things don't go as well? And in particular, uh, what's going to happen uh, 10 or 20 years in the future when we have uh, even a, a bigger influx of people who are relying on uh, the government for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, things of that sort? But that $700 billion, it kind of it, it looks like a big number, and it is a big number. Yeah. But we also don't – we have to really say, well, relative to what? Relative sure. to the, to the – Gross yeah. domestic product, which in the U.S. Right. is is that still is that around roughly right. twenty trillion? Right, and so other, it's a three yeah. and a half percent maybe uh, deficit. Yeah, and the the other problem again, without getting too technical, uh, if you have a high inflation rate, part of the debt is being eroded every year by inflation. Right now, there's not much erosion. So, in a sense, in the old days, we had. Uh, 10% inflation, uh, 10% of the debt was right. being paid off in the back doorway right. every just, year. Just paying it with depreciated but, dollars. But, but that's not happening now. So, But historically, uh, that number's been around 3% right, a year. That, right. The, the bigger problem, though, is the – or big, not bigger problem, but the thing we should be more concerned with is the not the deficit but the size of the debt. Now, the, the debt is a, like the, the past – uh, right. summation of all the different deficits and surpluses. So uh, th- there's no magic number here, but some people talk about a 90% to uh, debt to GDP ratio, things of that sort. We'll, get, we'll approach that uh, you know, relatively soon. Right. But I do think sometimes what's left out of the conversation yeah. is the sheer power of our system and sure. the, what's being produced. So, right. you know, it's one thing to say, well, Dr. Jones, did you hear he doubled his you know, deficit or doubled his debt? And they say, well, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And they, well, he tripled his income. Right. Well, okay, maybe Maybe relative to that, with that yeah, yeah. If you're looking at, for example, uh, looking at uh, a particular firm and say, is their debt too high or too low? You always have to look at their uh, profits and their uh, uh, a whole bunch of other things to put it in perspective. Do you think um, kind of hit me this long-term trend mm-hmm. of inflation historically about three percent a year? Isn't when the government created these inflation-adjusted bonds, their Treasury inflation-protected securities, is is that really not the government's way of silently saying that our regular fixed income bonds are cancer you know because uh, of that in because of that inflation then that fact that we're just kind of debasing the currency a little bit yeah. each year by it a could be i don't think they that's too giving too much credit to there. but again uh if you go back uh 10 years buying a government bond is a, a pretty good deal because you're locked in a, a much higher rate so it wasn't they weren't poisoned in a sense that uh uh you got a higher rate you can get now. Oh, I understand. Yeah, but yeah. just relative right. to inflation, sure. after taxes and inflation. But I'm not sure that's any different from any other bond. I mean, whether it's a corporate bond or a government bond. or I agree. Like, I, I, this kind of, I, yeah. I just, the other day it hit me and I thought, well, that's basically just kind of the government admitting that their straight bonds are, yeah. are a little bit of a problem after the effects of inflation, uh, and that's the case. Uh, so looks to me like unless we get that hope, hope for 3% growth, it's unlikely tax cuts will produce. Uh, enough revenues to avoid creating further debts. Yeah, um, there's still a lot of discussion about the Fed, but I think everyone sort of knows the direction is going to be a mild uh, tightening of money and whether it happens really uh, uh, fairly quickly or very gradually probably doesn't make a lot of difference at this point. And I was checking up on inflation every, every quarter or so or every six months. I like to kind of like get it into my head where yeah. we are on this inflation. And I was looking at the – this is the CPI – uh, which inflation rate uh, doesn't matter what it was in July, but uh, in 2016, kind of give it a backdrop. The official inflation rate was 1.73 percent, uh, 
uh, no, that was in July. So for the whole year of 2016, we had just over a 2% inflation rate. I mean, if we look over the last 12 months, year over year, it's about 1.73. And then I wanted to use the uh, Fed's, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, mm-hmm. and it looks to me like that is, you know, that's a little bit lower at around 1.4% year over year. Yeah, no one ever believes that in terms of you know going to the store and so on. Everyone thinks uh, all prices are going up, and in fact, they're... They're not as much as you might think. Maybe. And, and, and inflation is really, it's, uh, inflation is different for one person than it is to the next, sure. right? If you're, if you own your house versus renting, right. you know, that, that inflation number can mean, can be way off, uh, or, or way right. on the mark. Um, I, I had to notice the article kind of shifting to Illinois for a minute and the economics from the U S to the economics of the state of Illinois, it's particularly in a university town when so many, you know, uh, educators and people working at the university are collecting a pension or are going to collect a pension with that 3% cost. Today's uh, article, I think it was actually the uh, editorial in the News Gazette, talked yeah. about basically this this ballooning health care cost that makes it sound even scarier. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have these underfunded pensions. Right. Um, I think people read that by itself, and they it's hard to have that sense of proportionality, right. like, okay, how big of a problem? Right. But now it sounds like this health care it just doesn't sound good for the state of Illinois when you start combining right. some of these things as, as if we could ever get out of this mess. Yeah, well, I'm sure it's going to be a long time, but there, there are two kinds of health issues. One is for Medicaid, which the state provides some aid, and the federal government the other. The <coughs> other is uh, medical coverage for uh, workers and retirees, and that's not uh, set in stone. The state can change that as they, as they wish, assuming they can bargain with the union so they can make people pay more, uh, increase co-pays, all kinds of stuff to uh, rein in that. So there's just, there's certain has to be a certain amount of political will. So, and but it's not, like, it's not like the uh, constitutional straitjacket with the 3% right. inflation. This For is, the current. Yeah. Uh, so you're not necessarily bearish on the state of Illinois. Well, no uh, more bearish than, no. That, than that. I mean, it's the kind of same kind of thing that uh, everyone sort of knows this and Several years ago, there was a, a, a new edict from the accounting people saying you had to take into account your uh, unfunded liabilities on the uh, non, non-retirement side, non-pension uh, side, health care, things of that sort. And people said that's going to be really lower our debt rating. But the fact is, everyone knew that already. Sure, the markets know that. Yeah. I mean, they, they've done the analysis for them probably. Yeah. It's just uh, it's hard when I think for most people, they read those type of editorials or articles and – you know, by the by the time I got to the last line of it, I'm thinking, well, this state's, you know, just just psychologically, can this state ever yeah. pull out? Can they ever pay yeah. their bills? Uh, can they ever stay solvent? Yeah. Well, uh, I think that yeah, I think it's going to be a, a kind of uh, uh, not not a glorious kind of resolution to the problem. It's going to be just a, a kind of uh, work our way through and muddle through and and stay ahead of the game. So I think we'll be able to do that. I doubt in the next 10 years we're going to end up with uh, a situation where everything is fine and we're back on uh, kind of running on automatic again. Do you think a state like Illinois, I'm not going to ask you how to do it, just if there was the political will to turn the state of Illinois around and make it a more growth-friendly and achieve more growth, are there tools to do that, or are these things random? Is Texas booming simply out of randomness, or, or, or is it as easy as, wow, Texas is friendly, they have lower tax rates, they don't even have a personal income tax yeah. rate. That's why Texas is booming. Well, is Texas any more healthy? It's uh, only a matter of changing things marginally. Uh, we can't make ourselves into Texas, but we can do better than we're doing now. So I don't think there's any magic uh, set of uh, laws or, or policies it would convert us into a high growth state but we can certainly do better than we're we're doing now. so we could get to a point you know the old saying something that can't go on forever right. won't and yeah. there comes that point where you say uh uncle we, yeah. we have to do something yeah different. And even uh even uh michigan if you go back to the uh the great recession michigan was much more uh damaged than uh, illinois but now michigan is quite a bit better shape than than we are in so and what, and it's what, have, what have they done well, I think they're, uh, they they weren't in as, as deep a hole to begin with. I think they had a little bit more discipline than, than we've had here. Okay. So, so. so if you notice, I mean, uh, uh, you talk about the political will, but uh, we still have basically the only thing that's changed over the past several years is we have a Republican governor as opposed to a Democratic governor, but almost everyone else is everything else is the same. Doesn't so. seem like governor matters in Illinois. Well, it's very hard to <laughs> very hard to change things if you're. 
uh, a Republican, and right. both houses are controlled by by Democrats by substantial majorities. But again, uh, and the other problem is that uh, this hasn't been exactly a, a well managed sort of. Uh, 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 governorship sure. either. So, uh, right. It's, it, it's almost seems like this yeah. NFL thing. Yeah. Both sides are yeah. screwing it up. Uh, okay. So, uh, that's, it's good big picture stuff. I think it's always good to kind of every now and then visit about the state of Illinois. Again, you're listening to Paul Rudy's on the money radio show. You can reach us at three, five, six, nine, three, nine, seven, or on the text, text us at the castle heating and cooling text line at three, five, one, five, three, five, seven. I almost have those numbers memorized. I always had the phone number memorized. Uh, so to now I'm going to introduce just briefly uh, Ryan Repco. Uh, Ryan joined us, what was it, March or April? April. April. I tried to put it off as long as I could. <laughs> uh, he's here with us today. He works with us at uh, Rudy Wealth Management. And like Paul Jr., my son, he's not really a junior, but we just, just works easier. Uh, David and Daniel is going to become a regular guest on the show not really going to contribute much today. I'm not going to lean on you today. It takes a while just to get used, doesn't it, Daniel? It oh, yeah, it does. takes a while getting used uh, in front of a microphone. We'll see how Ryan does. Uh, so we're going to put Ryan a little bit on the hot seat just to briefly be, just give people an intro so that going forward they'll go, oh, okay, I remember. So we'll start at the beginning, Ryan. Uh, you're an Ohio guy. I am. There's a lot of people just because of that reason. Of course, my brother-in-law, Tim Kirkham, who's a Buckeye, thinks it's pretty cool. Akron, Ohio, is that right? That's correct. Northeast Ohio. Okay. And then you went to where? You went to a, you actually went to Walsh Jesuit High School, I see. See, I'm, I'm actually getting to know my son-in-law by doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know more now than I did. Yeah, it's never too late, 11 years in. And that you, have, you have a lot of friends that you went to college at Miami of Ohio that also went to that school, didn't, didn't you? Absolutely. And you have a number of you kind of all collect at Miami of Ohio. We'll get yep. to that. Well, I guess we'll talk about that. You went to Miami of Ohio from there. Uh, David went there, my son, and Paul, and of course, my daughter, who you married. And of course, Dr. Fred taught there between 1968 and 1980. How'd you like that memory since you just said it at the beginning of the show, Fred? So how did you tell people about what your curriculum was, what you studied, and what you ended up doing from Miami? So I went into it uh, following the footsteps of my dad, I think kind of like your own boys did. And I wanted to be uh, a doctor. My dad's a uh, private practice physician in Ohio. And I thought, gosh, how cool would that be to be kind of like my dad. So I went in pre-med and um, as the years went on, I realized, you know, I didn't feel myself uh, pulled to that career and I wanted to make a switch and and make a business change. So I went into uh, my junior year thinking I'm going to do both pre-med and business. Well, that's pretty good. I had enough time with uh, business for myself. And then like, you know, my kids, you know, they didn't really want to be like their dad. I don't think they do. I still don't think they do. And then from there, you went to Chicago for a while. You got a job up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's a lot of folks out of Miami of Ohio that kind of seem to a- aggregate in Chicago, isn't there? My apartment in college basically picked up and moved to Chicago uh, when we graduated. So I Did had they a, tell you? No. Okay, just yeah. wondered. Yeah, we just <laughs> ran into each other. And you got a job. Got, got a job at a great company working in sales on a tech company in Chicago, uh, Velocity HS. And I spent almost nine years there. Uh, I was the... Job I got right out of college, and up until now, that's where I've been, and uh, enjoyed working for a, a startup company, essentially in a large growth field. And again, a lot of uh, you know talking with people, and basically, when you're in sales, you know you you know you you either begin to learn to work with people, or you just don't ever get it figured out. And uh, so that's one thing good about those type of jobs. Uh, and then uh, you moved to Champaign, and uh, that was a big change from Chicago, right? When you and Katie got married. Did it she, was. Did she make you do it? You can tell us now. No, she didn't make me do it. Okay. She didn't. But she told me to get out before I uh, spend the rest of my life with Paul Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And so now, uh, of course, you have the world's smartest uh, child, who's mm-hmm. my grandson. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you survived that year and a half, uh, as I would put it. Um, what's that experience been like? Oh, man, it's it's been a uh, roller coaster ride, but it's been an incredible ride. Um you know, he does something new every day, and I revel in every little minute change that he has. And it's it's quite an experience being that he's my first child to watch him grow up. Um, and as a, a dad, I'm proud that my boy's a he's he's a big, strong kid. He's a hundredth percentile for weight and height. So I mean, this this kid is huge. Yeah, I know. So. I have a bad back because of it. <laughs> okay, and uh, what anything change in your psyche once you had the like? Think about financially. Okay, mm-hmm. so now you're a new parent. You're married. You're new parent. Uh, 
was there any of those wow moments or uh, oh wait i have to get serious i better start yeah is it college that pops into your mind right away college pops into my mind and just it's a fundamental shift i think away from self to others thinking about like what is important so you think about taking care of your wife and, and your son with life insurance you think about planning for the future whether, whether that be a college whether that be just goals you want to find and you start thinking completely differently than you ever have before so did you take it from thinking to okay i gotta start being putting my financial planner hat on and did you start doing analysis of what you know what how much do i have to save each month or each year for college and all these other things absolutely and you start thinking oh my gosh it's almost like a uh, overwhelming burden it's like how can i possibly get there but when you start breaking it down into individual fundamental pieces it becomes something you can uh, do incrementally over time and it's not such a, a huge burden as it seems and you didn't have enough schooling, so you went on and got uh, an additional degree, a professional MBA degree out of the University of Illinois. So he's an Illinois man, Fred. Yep. Right. So, yeah, that Tell was... Tell me about that. It was a uh, a fun experience, really. I mean, I went into it knowing that, you know, again, with a pre-med original background, I wanted to get a further degree in business. Uh, the University of Illinois was ranked uh, fairly highly at the time, and um, I had a great program, great group of people, and the the instructors were excellent, and I think it really gave me a solid background in business that I really felt I needed. And, you know, did, was much of it applied to finance, like what you're doing today, or is it more of a general just really get to understand business and how business, how business works? It was a general master's in business. And so it gave me a coursework in finance, in financial investing. Uh, and what I found really interesting about that and everything else I've done gearing me towards this ultimate financial advisor role is that all the paths essentially converge together uh, into a, a similar theory about investing in terms of active versus passive. And it kind of just bolstered my opinion on the fact that uh, education-wise, if you look at where things are going, and you start seeing that you know there might be a, a better or maybe more preferable way to invest if you want to do so in the long term. And you did some consulting with, throughout that program and... I think you went to China, didn't you? Or, exactly. I, I was involved in the uh, Illinois Business Consulting Group, IBC. It's the largest in the country, or at least it was a few years ago. And I did. I got to do a, a international consulting project and worked overseas in China for about eight days. And uh, it was a really unique experience. And then you went on further because uh, you knew you were – we kind of always had planned on you coming into the family business. Uh though I got outvoted, um, <laughs> but evidently everybody else wanted you in. And uh, it wasn't enough, and you wanted to take it a little bit further. So was there, because the boys took the certified financial planner you know, exam and, and, and went through that curriculum, is that why you picked that up at the I, same time? It certainly was a, uh, a good introduction. I think uh, anytime you have the opportunity uh, to get more education into a field that is going to be directly applicable, you're best to do it. And I thought, well, as a new advisor coming out of the gates – what better uh, option than to have all this education and being a certified financial planner uh, professional. Okay. So I enrolled in that program. And so you passed the exam. So now you're just, you, you cannot use the marks yet, but eventually you do enough work uh, through at the firm. And since David is a certified financial planner professional, it kind of shortens your horizon, doesn't it? So that's, exactly. That's good. So, uh, you know, uh, so now we're, now we're transitioned from a big company to a small company. Uh, anything you know, kind of throw you a little bit on that or is it pluses or minuses? You could be open here, yeah. even in front of Daniel. I think <laughs> you could say pluses and minuses both ways. Things move quicker here. Uh, there's no red tape. I work with my father-in-law that you could decide if that's a plus or a minus. Uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure anyone will say the same thing. It's, it's a welcome change really to be able to work with people directly. Uh, whereas in my prior role, I was working with businesses and you don't see the end game. You don't see how your work impacts that company right. whereas here i get to see the end game of how our clients lives are improved by simply having been involved well certainly a lot of difference between i've always kind of been an entrepreneur and worked for myself for the most part so i don't have that experience working for the big company uh i'd be fired probably before the first break on a monday uh you know just i'd say something so Anyway, well, I wanted to at least uh, introduce you today. Um, I want to get to some other things, and in the future, he'll be Ryan will be contributing, and uh, we look forward to that. Uh, gives me more people to hand stuff off to. I like that, Fred. 
So anyway, thanks, Ryan, for uh, at least joining us for that part today. And uh, you're off the hook now. So you did a, did a fine job in front of that microphone. Thanks See, for having me. You, you figured if Daniel could do it, anybody could do it. <laughs> uh, Daniel, speaking of you, I'm going to switch plates a little bit. I know David, your brother, wrote. Uh, he's not here because, unlike us, David is in Napa Valley for his birthday anniversary. I uh, hope he brought Amber with him. Uh, he just wrote a blog, uh, blog about preparing in advance for the mental and physical decline that takes place as people get into their later years. Um, you know, I've noticed for doing this for 34 years now, working with people basically through all phases of retirement, it, it's it's real easy and it's real common to just kind of ignore it like it's not going to happen, that not me. Um, but I've noticed that you know, as my clients get even into their mid 60s, there's subtle changes. Uh, I might notice them more than even the kids because sometimes I see my clients more uh, and know more about them. Um, but much pe people tend to, from my experience, spend much less time planning for that. Um, what are some of the things you see it? And when you, I know you helped David on that blog a bit, you recommend to people that what steps to at least begin thinking about if they haven't done anything? Can you kind of start laying out at least the beginning part of the roadmap? Yeah, I think just to preface this a little bit, I think a lot of getting older is making sure that you're very organized with your financial life. And, and there, um, there seems to be a real attraction to that. Have you noticed that when clients come in, that one of the things that we offer kind of on the front end is kind of like, we got to start on this path towards simplification and organization. There seems to be a real attraction attraction to that would you agree with that right and what happens sometimes is that unfortunately as we get older people get forgetful and if one spouse ends up getting alzheimer's or something like that they go well we start to ask them well let's get things organized then and then it's almost too late right so you really have to be on the front end of that it's just a conversation i think and i've begun to be much more aggressive about it's just dealing with that reality that we really don't like to talk about it. Uh, but now with my experience, um, and I know you're going to get to another issue that's important, but, but simplification and organization is kind of the, kind of the yeast of, of having that peace of mind of how am I going to deal with this when either I choose not to, or maybe, maybe I don't even realize it. And we're painting with a broad brush. I, I recognize. Uh, and so that you're just saying, get out in front of it and get organized yeah and kind of it's like okay great i'll get organized but how do i do that what about and most common that one spouse tends to handle the finances uh now you're you know you're kind of you're not spreading your bet there um what, how do you deal with that i really feel strongly about informing the other spouse i know a lot of times we just hear well i don't want to deal with it he he or she does all the finances and i like it that way and that's great until unfortunately something happens to your spouse and then not only did something happen to your spouse now you have to pick up the pieces of your whole financial world at the same time that causes for some pretty stressful situations so if you can get out in front and just say hey we're going to sit down one night and i'm going to show you each bank account we have each investment account we have these are the bills I pay. Things like that, literally right. just simple things like that are the things that kind of get washed under the rug right. when, unfortunately, <clears throat> something bad happens. And I've noticed from time to time we'll do what we call a mind map, which is really a visual way to show everything that's kind of in that universe for the client that they need to think about. And that, that, that can be a real good place to start, too. It's almost like a visual checklist. First of all, what do we own? Uh, you know, what bills do get paid, which ones get paid automatically. This kind of needs to be that inventory of and, and deliberate thinking about, you know, if something suddenly happens to one spouse, it doesn't just have to be a disability. Sometimes there's premature death. Uh, you know, there's financial issues that need to be addressed, but then there's, you know, what's going to happen to me if my spouse dies early? And that's right. really part of that is without the organization up front, it's really difficult. And that's why I think, especially sometimes, you know, a person comes in and unfortunately their spouse has passed away or something like that and i feel like most of the time now you can tell me if you agree but it seems like the people who bring in a person with them right an advocate so to speak an, an advocate or a financial you know like a, a little like financial advocate i okay. think yeah it would be the right term and sometimes that can be a family member right uh, but you know someone needs to spot it 
right? There's that's that seems to be a real challenge for financial advisors. <coughs> okay, who's going to be responsible for spotting some slippage here? Uh, well, you know, wow, you know, Bob's not really acting quite like he's been acting, you know, and I feel a little slip. I get to see it because I've known my clients. They stay with me for decades and I basically go through, you know, a third of their life with them. Um, but if people generally have wishes that they want carried out, uh, you know, for that part of life, if, if something happens, um, what do you suggest, like, would you suggest a financial caretaker, so to speak, ahead of time that, okay, if things start slipping uh, or some mechanism that says, okay, if, if, if mom or dad starts slipping uh, or, or this caretaker basically has a roadmap to what, what takes place then? Right. And we're starting to do this, too, for clients. It's a diminished capacity letter. That pretty much spells out what you'd like someone to do if they notice you're starting to fade mentally. So it might be including, hey, if if you're seeing me mentally slip, can you contact my children or right. can you contact my attorney? Or And then it goes from there after you do that. What are the steps that you want to take just to make sure you kind of protect yourself from yourself in some ways? I think would, would be the way to say it because sometimes when people start to mentally slip, they're going to make rash decisions that aren't what they actually intended right. early on. Right. I, I've seen that again, uh, you know, gosh, Fred, this is a, this is always, this is a tough conversation with clients on the front end. Cause you know, we get to talk about all kinds of fun things like, Oh, potential <laughs> capacity, you know, uh, reduction, uh, disabilities. We get to talk about premature death. We get to talk about the inevitable death. Uh, yeah, they're also the, the you haven't talked about the the scams and the uh, oh, yeah. well the, things that the susceptibility. Are, yeah. uh, and both, I mean, it could be an outright scam. It could be relatives or friends asking for things they probably shouldn't be asking for. Right, there's elder abuse, and this and, is a big issue in the industry of you know who's who who can spot it. And it's it, I could just say that I think because I know my clients so well because again they stay with me. It's measured in decades how long they stay with me that. I can spot it pretty fast. And uh, it, the other thing I've noticed, so just reflecting here a little bit, and I, I said this to somebody the other day, it's interesting that clients, when they go from their early 60s and now they're in their late 80s, I, someone asked me, what's the difference? I said, well, now they worry about things they never worried about when they were in their 60s, and now they don't worry about things they really worried about. Mm -hmm. and they just kind of, you see this, very common, you know, that yeah. emotional uh, personality shift a little bit. It's there's, subtle. Yeah. There's also a problem uh, that uh, older people uh, don't recognize how, th how much things cost today. So right. I've had situations where uh, people have had substantial uh, resources. You say, well, we can bring in a $20 an hour helper. And yes. $20 is yes. totally uh, out of the question. I can't, I could never afford to pay $20 I, an hour. I, I, that's, a, that's a good one because uh, – that is always part of the conversation when you when they start assessing what it could cost to get that help. They just it's that old DNA from being born in the shadows of the depression and thinking about it's kind of like we'd be like telling my dad that I buy bottled water. I mean, he'd probably spin in his grave. Uh, and so these are things. Now there's certain physical things that happen too. I mean, uh, and we're getting a little more proactive on this. It's about okay, where are we going to live? What are our housing decisions going to be? Um, how do you suggest people start thinking about that? Right, because once you get to a certain age and you do physically decline, you're going to have to decide, do I want to stay in my home? And if I do, how do I need to modify it? So it might be, well, there's an upstairs, so I'll need a chair, one of those electronic chairs right. that goes up and down the stairs, or there's stairs up to my house, so I'm right. going to need to put in a ramp, or having a railing on your bathtub. So just making like it more, if I'm going to stay in place, there's probably physical modifications. And then, of course, those relate to financial issues, too. What's right. the best way financially? Is it is that the most feasible financial thing to do? Or is it, do we need to start thinking about a retirement community? Is that the best goal? Which ones are good? And more often than not, it's the financial advisor that's really on the front end of that conversation, isn't it? Right, because... If you feel strongly about staying in your home, 
and you do need care, that's very expensive. I mean, we've seen and, that. And there's, there, and there's tools to deal with that uh, that are becoming a little more mainstream, like reverse mortgages. So then right. it becomes, okay, if we're going to modify the house, how are we going to pay for it? Is Are we better off to take a mortgage or get a reverse mortgage or pay cash? Those are going to be parts of those conversations. And my view is that those things are always, like every financial planning issue, those decisions are best made largely in the context of an overall life plan. And, Right. And what about, um, it comes a point where we have to consider, okay, I may actually need long-term care and that may even involve a facility. Right. How do you get on the front end of that? And, you know, you say it all the time. When people start to get a little older, you ask them, have you gotten any, gotten on any lists for the home care facilities over here? Or the Windsor of Savoy and there's probably others. Uh, you know, they can tend to have waiting lists and it's a matter of get on the, I have driven clients over there because I could tell that's the only way it was going to happen. Let them see the facilities, get them on the list, just create that option, uh, for a pretty small amount of money. You have the option then to be on that list and be called when your name does come up. And then, uh, but the, the thing is you need to get on that waiting list because there can be a waiting list. I mean, if you don't then you may not get into the place you want i feel like there's a comfort in knowing that well i've seen all the nursing homes or the home care facilities and i like this one the best and i know i'm going to get into that one so the difficulty for financial advisors sometimes are we have to have this emotional conversation but it's also a financial conversation at the same time it's really it's not only what what do you feel is best for you, what what do you feel that's best for you that you can afford? And affording it is in the context of that overall life plan. And that kind of begins to provide, starts to fence in the answers. Like, okay, what's possible? First of all, let's, let's figure out what's possible. Uh, and then, you know, if we need to get on a list, we'll get on a list. Uh, if that's the answer, if it's fix the house, let's get it fixed on the front end when we're all comfortable and can make good decisions. And we prepare well ahead of time. Maybe it's right. years in advance, but if that's where we're determined to stay in our home, and let's determine if we're going to stay in our home and need help, let's let's start projecting what that might cost. Uh, start considering that possibility and getting out in front of it to make sure that that's feasible at the same time. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times people think what financial advisors do is just all about investing. Uh, investing, as I tell clients, is probably the easiest thing we do. Uh, it's really dealing with all these life decisions. We, we're, we're talking about one of them today, just how do we deal with the aging issue, uh, our aging brain and psyche, our you know finances as we age, how do we merge those things? In other words, everybody has a vision of how they want to have their life play out. Uh, you know, they have, and it's really you know, have, helping people get the most out of that than they can with the money they have. Uh, this is just one area. There's, you know, there's there's so many areas we deal with. Uh, this is a big one, and this is one again. Is I think it's because I started in this business 34 years ago, and I have a number of clients in their 90s uh, and a lot in their 80s. And you know, you you need to be out in front of these issues. And I think you would agree with that. Yeah. Um, I'm going. You know, let's talk a little bit about um, since you guys put this in here. And since I've been getting emails while I'm doing the show about clients want to talk about this Equifax thing, I thought I'd take a little bit of time um, to talk about that. As people know, some 140 or 50 million people were involved in the Equifax. It's one of the three major credit uh, f- firms and uh, that you know monitor people's credit ratings, etc. And because of that hack, and I just noticed that over the weekend, Mike, credit card for the first time in about a year was compromised. I don't know if there's anything to it. So I could tell people that I have personally frozen all three credit reports. So I wanted to do that as an advisor because I know some of my clients are going to want to do that. So I thought I'm literally going to go through the steps. I I wasn't likely impacted. My wife wasn't likely impacted. And we're going to talk about that. Well, how do you know? Um, You can go to EquifaxSecurity2017.com and follow the instructions. I did that. And so what you're going to do when you go there 
Is it's going to, I mean, look, somebody may already have your social security number anyway. I have my opinion that social security numbers were never designed as an identification tool. They, this, I think this is, may eliminate that use, which I think it will be positive. But you go to that and you put in the last six digits of your social security number and, you know, your last name. And it was either going to say you, you probably have been, a, in so many words, you've probably been impacted or you probably were not impacted well those are two different levels of concern if 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 i think it's a no-brainer if it looks like i have been impacted i'm going to do what paul did here and i'm going to probably freeze my credit that's what i did uh freezing credit it's not a big deal it did cost me twenty dollars so equifax was free it cost me ten dollars for being in the state of illinois at transunion and ten dollars for experian i was able to do uh I was because of my recent credit card issues and sending a card that I got yesterday. Um, uh, I had a little hard time with Experian doing it online, so I just called their 800 number, which I can give people. Or if, if people want to uh, uh, send an email to Paul Rudy at RudyWealth.com, I, I can forward my list of things you might want to think about doing. Um, so what does freezing do then? Okay, so freezing just says if somebody does have my information, particularly my social security number and some other information, and I go try to get a credit card in, in Fred's name, uh, they're probably going to pull a credit report. To the extent they pull a credit report, it's going they're not going to be able to get the credit rating. Now, if you do apply for credit and you're frozen it, frozen it you're going to have to unfreeze it. You can do it rather quickly, typically, in a matter of minutes. But again, you have to go to all three of them. You can generally do it online, and they may charge you five or ten dollars to unfreeze them. So uh, this isn't, you know, it's not that easy. I'm going to go. I think Stan, Stan on line one said, "I heard that Equifax gave out a web address." Yes. Oh. Well, uh, good morning, guys. I really appreciate what you guys do on the uh, radio here, but I heard, and I haven't had a chance or taken the time to to research this backstory. But I've heard that Equifax has uh, put out some sort of uh, alternative protection site. And if you take their, um, their uh, 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 help with protecting your, with monitoring yeah. your credit, okay. monitoring your credit, you have got to opt out of the right to sue them. Otherwise, you will be thrown ah, into a, class, a, a arbitration case rather than having a right to, an art, to a class action or an individual case. Uh, I would, don't know that that's true. I just know that story's out there. Well, I think people can watch for it then. I think it is true, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me. I think that's pretty common uh, for them to do that. So you also have to be careful because Equifax, they had someone put a spoof site out, and Equifax was sending people to the spoof site. It looked just like Equifax, so you got to be really careful. Here. And they, they just fired their yeah, CEO. The CEO. Or, or just retired, stuff. Fred. He retired. <laughs> Anything else, Dan? No, I just wanted okay. to warn people if uh, I'm glad out, you did. they have to do the opt-out thing on that uh, arbitration deal. Okay. Thanks, Stan. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye. I think what Stan's talking about is they do offer that trusted ID premier. Dot, you know, trusted ID premier. You can get there. I'm not going to promote that one way or another. Uh, but, you know, again, so getting back to the freezing, I think that's particularly if you've likely been impacted. I can't think for people. I'm in my 50s, so I'm not planning on getting any credit to me it's a no-brainer to just freeze it for someone who's <laughs> knows that they're going to be applying just recognize going eyes wide open that there's small cost to doing so to freezing and unfreezing um, you can pick up that free identity theft protection monitoring for a year through Equifax but again eyes wide open another thing you can do is you can go to annualcreditreport.com and request your free credit report from the three major bureaus. And again, those three bureaus are TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Uh, so you're allowed to do that once annually at no charge. Uh, and you allows you that. Therefore, you can see if there's been any unauthorized credit inquiries, you know, being made on your credit. So I think this is my way of saying, people, we have to be more vigilant than ever. Um, and again, I talked about doing the credit freeze. You get online, at least with Equifax, they'll give you a PIN number. It's I felt like it was fairly easy to do all three of them so that wasn't uh, a big thing but the important thing is it doesn't do any good to freeze on one you have to freeze your credit report for all three of them 
Uh, so again, you, there's a variety of <clears throat> you know identity theft sites out there that are reputable and national brands. Yeah, I'm not gonna, you know, I don't know which one's better than the other. Um, that's the thing. You can also set what's called a fraud alert. Now, a fraud alert, it lasts for 90 days. I have not done that, and I'm not suggesting people do it or not do it, but it can be renewed every 90 days. Uh, again, I have not done this, but if you're worried, this is an additional step. That is, if someone, uh, if if they, if you think that your account, your credit report or your credit ability, your identity has been you put on this fraud alert, and then basically it just heightens the sensitivity the way I understand it as when new credit's trying to be established. Uh, so <clears throat> that's about, at this point, there's probably other things you can do, but I did want to let people know that you can go to that equifaxsecurity2017.com, follow the instruction, and find out to begin with if you were impacted. From there, if you were impacted, I think I would suggest most people freeze their credit reports. If you weren't impacted, you just have to make a decision whether you want to do that or not. I don't see a lot of downside in it. So I think that should address that fairly well. Um, before we go, guys, uh, we just had our retirement planning uh, retirement planning and retirement readiness seminar uh, just a couple weeks ago, I guess it was. We're going to run it again. Again, these keep getting basically overbooked. Well, we don't overbook them, but we always have to turn some people away. Uh, we're going to have it on Wednesday, November 15th from 630 to 8 p.m. at Rudy Wealth Learning Center. Uh, in this event, the Rudy Wealth Management team will walk you through the challenges facing most <clears throat> facing those planning for retirement, the different decisions you have to make, and how to approach them. We'll recover. We will cover reasonable expectations for things like withdrawal rates. That's a big one. That's an area I've done a lot of research in, and ultimately decide if you're retirement ready. You can sign up online by going to our seminars page on our website. I think it's our resources page uh, at RudyWealth.com or by giving us a call at two one seven three five six fourteen hundred. So I guess in the end, uh, people should be happy, guys. We have stock market at all-time highs. That is if they're participating. Um, you know, uh, we don't make market forecasts, so we're never in and out. We make long-term commitments for our clients at the appro appropriate allocation level. So they've enjoyed, to the extent they're in the broad U.S. and international markets, they've enjoyed double-digit returns. Again, for that, at least people that have invested in those areas, Um and uh, again, at any time, you know, we can't get too complacent. I'm probably being overly cautious right now in my rhetoric, uh, but I think it's time to always rebalance. <clears throat> always look at your rebalancing decision after another strong year to date. It might be appropriate. So we're going to be back in a couple of weeks, the second Tuesday of October. Dr. Fred, thanks for joining us. Thank Ryan and Daniel, thanks. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Join us for the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for Paul Rudy's On the Money. Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana.